Over the next few minutes, we're going to be talking about two things. One, Jesus brings blank. And Ryan and I are going to talk about that for a few minutes. And then we're going to have several people come up and talk through what we bring as we look at the different characters of the Christmas story. What does it say to us about who we are and what we're meant to bring as we participate in life with Jesus? And so as we look at this idea of what does Jesus bring, first we're going to look at salvation. What does it mean for us to be people who are saved? I'm going to read this passage from Philippians chapter 4. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again because sometimes that's the response, I guess. Rejoice. So let's try it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Because sometimes you got to say it four times. You know what I mean? So uh, it goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we think about the concept of peace on earth, it begins with us. It begins in us, and we call Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us, but God isn't just with us. Jesus didn't just come to show us how to live. Jesus came and did a supernaturally powerful work that changes us on the inside and that truly brings peace. For us to experience the fullness of peace around us, it begins by us being a people of peace who are reconciled to God through the work of Jesus. When we talk about what it means for us to follow Jesus, we talk about powerful things. We don't talk about that in just the religious sense where it's a mental ascent or some sort of intellectual experience. When we talk about following Jesus, it means that we bring peace to places where there isn't peace. And it means that we're radically transformed from the inside. Jesus came to break the chains that bind us. And to set us free from the things that would hold us captive. That's what it means for us to experience the peace of Jesus. When we talk about Jesus bringing salvation, that's what it means for us. Earlier tonight when we were back um, just preparing for the night and praying together with the band and the other people who were involved with tonight. Jessica Bott prayed over us and one of the things that she prayed was that Jesus would remind us of what it means for us to be fully human. Sometimes we reduce the concept of being human to something that's broken or dirty or gross or something that we shouldn't grasp or take hold of. But when Jesus comes in and reminds us of what it means to be fully human, we come to a place of understanding that we embody the image of God and the character of Christ, that our humanity is in itself beautiful and sacred and created by God the Father. And Jesus came to restore that original identity. And that's what it means for us to have the peace of Jesus inside of us when we say Jesus brings salvation. I'd love for you to close your eyes for a second and just consider in your life where are areas that you want the peace of Jesus to invade. Areas of turmoil or anxiety that you're ready for the breath of God to come breathe on. 
and release the chains that bind us and the anxiety that presses us down and the weight of the world that would keep us oppressed, that we would experience true freedom in Christ tonight. God, we thank you that the weight of the world has been lifted by the work of Christ on the cross. And we thank you for Jesus who, ca- who came as a humble baby and grew up in this world to show us what it means to live in this world and to transform this world and to be a person of peace so that everywhere we go, peace abounds. God, we love you and we ask that your peace would enter us in a fresh way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus brings salvation and Jesus brings the kingdom. I want us to go back to that prophetic word from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 of his book. It says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and a government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. You know, it's important for us to remember that history is the progressive revelation of God. That history is the story of the creator and the creation being reconciled. Sometimes when we step into the story of God, we reduce it to our own personal salvation. We reduce it to being about, how do I get to heaven when I die? How do I get fire insurance for the afterlife? But the story is so much bigger than that. It's so much more beautiful than that. Because we find the story of the creator desperately pursuing after his creation and seeking reconciliation, seeking unity, seeking togetherness. And yes, bound up in that story is your salvation and my salvation. But the far bigger story is the kingdom of God advancing and that every iota of creation will be touched by the hand of grace and brought back into its full accordance being brought back into what it's created to be. And so this story that we tell, the story that we stand on the precipice of tonight, is the story of how it is that God has become king again of his own creation. And it's beautiful in that that prophecy from Isaiah as well. It says, unto us a child is born. You know, I don't know if you spend much time with children, but they're not particularly useful. I am way faster and way stronger than any kid that I've ever encountered in my life. It's the truth. They're not very useful. As they get older, they kind of find their place. But what is it that about children, we find this, it's like a divine comedy that God would reconcile the world, not through powerful forces and and military might and strength and all of these things that we would assume by earthly standards, but no, he, he incarnates, he puts himself into a child into a baby. Because what do we find in that package? We find the beautiful potential of a new world. And as Jesus grows up from a child, as he learns to incarnate God and who he's been called to be, we find those very first words that Jesus preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. If we were put it in our contemporary language, we would say, change the way that you think 
change the way that you assume how things are supposed to be and how they work. Because the new reality of God is so close that you can reach out and touch it. It's tangible. It's transformative. And these are the first words that Jesus preaches. And so we can assume that everything after that point, everything that Jesus says, everything that Jesus does is further unfolding this reality that the kingdom of heaven has come near, that the kingdom of heaven advances. Everything that Jesus taught, all of the people that he healed, all of the people that he delivered were the advancement of the kingdom of God. Because the beauty is that the kingdom of God The fabric of that kingdom is the character of God himself. That today we recognize it is the presence, that God has given us his presence, and that transforms everything. And in that final act of love of Jesus on the cross, we see God defeating evil and ushering in the fullness of the kingdom by being broken open to incorporate the world back into divine relationship. And he offers mankind that new way to live in reconciliation. You see, the world has changed. The world is different now because of what God has accomplished through Christ Jesus. The history books may not be that specific with it, but they will reveal to you as you recognize the heartbeat of God throughout history that everything has changed because of what he's done through Christ Jesus. And the character of God being the fabric of his kingdom, there's something within each of us that resonates with that reality. When we encounter the truth of who God is, something in our spiritual DNA vibrates with a yes, a divine yes to the kingdom because there's something in the character of God we recognize within ourselves because we are made in his image. And when we encounter Jesus, when we listen to his teachings, when we experience his healing, when we experience his salvation, there's something in it that says, this is the thing that I was always created to be. And these are the things that I was always created to do. And we are invited to participate in God in the unidirectional advancement of his kingdom because his kingdom never retreats. It never retreats. It always moves forward. It always presses in. Wherever there is darkness, it continues to bring light. And the divine invitation for us is to say yes to the kingdom of God, to see that eventual reality that God will get what God wants and all things will be reconciled unto him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Amen. I fall more and more in love with the kingdom of God every day because there's something in me that says this is home. This is what home is like. This is where I was created to be. And that's the invitation that's being extended to you in this Christmas season. Will you recognize, again, the steady advancement of the kingdom of God within you but also through you as God reconciles this world unto himself? So let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that tonight you would send your spirit to give us a new inkling, a new revelation of what your kingdom looks like, of what your kingdom sounds like, of what your kingdom tastes like, Lord. Because as we become more and more sensitive to your character, to your nature, we see that inhabited within ourselves, that we become more and more like you, 
we become more and more like our Messiah, Jesus. And in allowing ourselves to be inhabited by you, being transformed from the inside out, we see the kingdom of heaven advancing into some very dark places and some very desperate situations. But we see the true hope, the true joy, and the true peace of your kingdom advancing on this earth. Lord, may we be always open before you, ready to say yes to you wherever you would take us, wherever you desire to dwell within our hearts and minds that we might see that final reconciliation of creator and creation. So, Lord, we dedicate everything we are to you, Lord. We say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring your kingdom and begin with us. In his strong and blessed name we pray. Amen. And so Jesus brings salvation, and Jesus brings his kingdom. And now we want to transition and come back to the Christmas story and recognize in each of these characters what are the lessons they teach us about what it is we are to bring to Jesus. And so we're going to begin with Mary. So at the beginning of Luke 1, we see the story of Jesus' birth begin as an angel of the Lord visits Mary, Jesus' mother. And Mary's currently a virgin, and she's engaged to a man named Joseph to get married. But the, the angel of the Lord goes to Mary and says, Mary, something supernatural is about to happen to you. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you are going to be impregnated. And you're going to give a birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus. And he's going to be the son of the most high God and heir to David's throne and his kingdom is going to reign forever. And I don't know about you guys when I read that, I'm like, man, that's so awesome. What is it like to be Mary? Like to be the mother of God. That's awesome. You know, but I don't think I ever take into consideration until recently the cost that Mary had to say yes to. The fact in those days giving birth to an illegitimate child actually resulted in being stoned to death. Or the fact that she was madly in love with a man named Joseph, who easily would have thought that she was cheating on him and probably would have left her. Or even saying yes to the fact that she might be publicly disgraced for the rest of her life for giving birth to an illegitimate child. Or the fact that after she gives birth to his son, she has to watch this son grow up and lay his life down and die. And get beaten. He was known as a man of sorrows. It was hard being Mary. Her yes, when she looked at the angel and said, I am the Lord's servant, may everything that you say come true. That yes was costly. And I just think about in my own life, like I love these glamorous promises that God has over my life. But sometimes the day-to-day cost is not something that I'm willing to say yes to, of saying, like, no, I'm not going to choose pleasure or my cravings or feelings. I'm going to choose God. You know, and there's a cost to saying yes to the promises of God in its day-to-day. So I just want to ask you guys, I want us to take a moment to reflect. of Like, are you willing to say yes no matter the cost? Or just take a moment to reflect.
Hi, I'm Paul, and together we're going to keep looking at the different characters of the story and the different perspective that they bring in as Jesus enters the world. And we just heard Janae tell us a little bit about Mary and maybe some of what she was processing. And I want us to think about, about Joseph. And as she mentioned, they were engaged to be married. And um, in those days, marriage actually kind of came in three parts. They were engaged, and that word actually meant that they were, at that point, 100% married. But it wasn't until a later time, months later, sometimes even up to a year, where they would actually consummate the marriage. And they would do that actually in a room with their friends outside waiting for them. Kind of odd, right? Everybody's thinking, I'm really glad they don't keep doing that. Um, and so when, when they haven't done that part yet, but they've entered into this contract to be married. And so when Joseph hears that Mary's pregnant, you can imagine... Not only is he thinking to himself, well, I know that that's not my child, but he knows that all of his friends know that too. And so he, he is quietly making preparations, and Matthew it tells us, to divorce and to back away from this marriage that he had been uh, committed to with Mary. And then one night in a dream, the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, I want you to go forward with this marriage. I want you to marry her because this actually this baby is of the Holy Spirit, probably as Mary had told him. And not only that, but this baby is going to take away the sins of the world. This baby is going to offer forgiveness to the entire world. And as Joseph wakes up from this dream, I'm 100% sure he had a lot of questions. Because in my dreams, I don't know about you, I don't get to answers to all the questions that I want. So he probably didn't know, like, how is this whole plan going to happen? Like, how does this play out over time? What does this mean for me and Mary? How does this affect our relationship? How does this affect the way our friends view us? He didn't have any of those answers. But because the Lord had said, this is what I want you to do, the next uh, verse in Matthew says that that Joseph obeyed. He he did it. He did as the Lord had commanded, and he entered into into this marriage with Mary. And so... I think about my own life, and that is one of the biggest areas that I struggle. Faith and trust are something that are hard for me, even when I know a lot of the answers. But when I enter into situations where I don't know all the answers, where I don't know how things are going to play out, and I'm not even sure if I understand why I'm being asked to step into something, that's some of the hardest places for me to press into. And so tonight, I want you to think about areas of your life that are that way. And ask yourself the question, How am I choosing in even when I don't understand?
So we have ma the Magi or the, the three wise men or the three kings or whomever you've heard. Um, and when we started digging into who these guys were, there's really not a lot to find. Um, and right off the bat, you know, we felt like the Lord was saying, because it's not their story. You know, this is King Jesus's story. And they're just a part of that. But what we we did find out about them, you know, the few things that we could kind of pull from the, the scripture that we had. Um, one was they were sold out. You know, they were willing to follow a star to, to find um, King Jesus. You know, they, they had heard the prophecy. They'd studied it. They'd waited. They'd trained. You know, they knew they knew astrology. And, and when that star came, they, they followed it. So they were sold out. Um, they were obedient to the Lord's voice. Uh, but most importantly, they were incredibly humble. Um, they're sometimes referred to as kings, and yet they were willing to follow this giant star that, you know, no one really knew much about. Um, they were willing to take advice from a scribe in King Herod's court who gave them instruction on where to find King uh, Jesus. Um, they brought him gifts of gold and myrrh. I mean, these were men of high stature, you know, and they were willing to do all of this in search of King Jesus and just to go find this child and worship him um, in humility. Good job. So yeah, as we aim to be outward focused people, to be people that are focused on the people around us more than we're focused on ourselves, that requires us to really cultivate humility in our lives. And we can talk all we want about living by faith and being people of faith, but if we don't cultivate humility in the way that we live, we don't leave room for that. We don't leave room for God to call us into things that we don't understand and to risk exploring where he is and finding him and experiencing the kingship of Jesus if we don't come to him understanding who we are and where we are in that story. And just like we see kind of with the wise men, it's not more important than our names and where we're from and what we're bringing. It's important that we come and that, you know, it's not about our specific identity always in every moment and us getting so stuck in our own little story but looking outside of ourselves and recognizing what God is doing and seeing his move and being willing to follow that really requires humility and so what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes to really discuss with one another kind of what role humility plays in our own lives and our own journey to Jesus recognizing that humility leads us to Jesus and so turn to two or three people around you and we're going to ask this question what does humility look like in your own pursuit of King Jesus. I'd like for you guys to just close your eyes for a minute and just picture this as I give you another piece of this story. 
That night that Jesus was born, there were shepherds who had been working all day, and then they were continuing to work into the night. They were watching their sheep. These people worked for their sheep, and they weren't prestigious. They they weren't like high in society. They were just shepherds. They were low-level workers. And as they're out there in the field watching over sheep, an angel appears to them and absolutely terrifies them. They fall to the ground. And the angel says, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. And then the angel explains to them that Jesus, the Savior of the world, had been born. Um, Suddenly, the armies of heaven appear alongside this angel. This vast heavenly host, all of these supernatural beings, the likes of which humanity hadn't seen. It's all sorts of crazy spiritual creatures. And they all just start proclaiming worship and praise of God. And then they all disappear. And these shepherds look at each other and they say, let's go find this one that was born. Let's go see what this is all about. And they run to the town of Bethlehem and they find Mary and Joseph and the little baby. And then they tell the parents everything that had just happened. And it says that everybody heard it, but Mary treasured it in her heart. And these, these men, these men who this angel appeared to, they were just people. They weren't the, the kings or the, the Bible scholars right there. They weren't like prestigious people. They weren't priests. They were just shepherds. But it's like in the Old Testament when the prophet Samuel went to go anoint David as king. And he didn't know he was looking for David. But God says, you look with your eyes, but I see the man's heart. And these, this angel was sent to these men, knowing that in their hearts, they would treasure this word that was released to them, and they would do something about it. They would go, and they would share. They would take action. Whereas if they had shared it, if the angel had shared it with the Pharisees or some of the religious people, they probably would have responded like, okay, give us a sign. Give us confirmation. But these little shepherds, they just received it and they believed and they went and did something about it. In my own life, I've gotten words from the Lord where um, some of them I've taken them and I've ran with it. Um, But some of them I just haven't done anything about. I've I've just laid them down. And tonight, I felt like the Lord was reminding us of this verse says in Proverbs, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. And we're all, just like Jesus, who was a shepherd king, and just like David, who was a shepherd king, these shepherds that in their truest heart are called to be kings, we're all these shepherds who are called to be kings if we respond in our hearts and treasure the words that God releases to us. So my question for you, to just sit and ask internally and just ask the Holy Spirit to show you is do you want Jesus enough to search him out in any and all places?
Luke chapter 2, verse 9 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. So in this passage, we see a heavenly proclamation. And God was showing me how heavenly proclamation can be a very one-sided thing. He gave me this, uh, this illustration of how it's like me saying I live in this incredible mansion in Winter Park and I have 20 bedrooms and five jet skis and I'm the guy that waves to the boat tour as they go by and my life is perfect and all those things. And I can, I can be that guy. I can genuinely be that guy. If you don't want to know me, I could be. You know, I could show you pictures of my house, right? But how much good does that do? If I keep saying these things and showing you these things, and you, you would probably get to know me, you'd be impressed by this lofty thing. But unless you walk inside that house and touch those things and are a part of that life with me, it's only going to last for so long and it's only going to go so far. So how do we proclaim heaven? And God was showing me we proclaim heaven by living out a kingdom reality. We proclaim heaven in our lives by living out that heavenly reality. And I just want us to take a moment and just look at this place that we're in today. Look around, embrace, think about from the moment that you walked in. Think about these past services that we've had here. All the things that have come to this point right here, right now. And that was someone proclaiming heaven. That was someone saying, God, you have this thing for us, for me. Years and years and years ago, declaring that and asking for that. And we're all here in this place because of those people praying those prayers and standing in those gaps and not giving up. So we proclaim heaven by living out this heavenly reality that we talk about so much. I was actually talking to someone this week and we were saying the church says these things about leadership about being angels of change and doing and being, but we find ourselves being the ones that sit back so much. We find ourselves being the ones that sit on the sidelines. And that's really my thought to you. You know, we see this illustration that was just said about the angels coming to the shepherds, and then the shepherds leave where they are and they go out and they go on this journey, this incredible thing they've probably never done partaking in this thing they do not understand. But this is the key though. In that scripture, it says, do not be afraid. And I feel like that's what God is telling us when we think about these things he's promised us that are in our heart right now as I'm saying these words, these, these visions and these dreams and these kingdoms. God is saying, do not be afraid. And it's really simple to proclaim heaven. We have an opportunity right now as we're about to sing, Oh Holy Night. We have an opportunity to stand together, to sing together, and to literally bring heaven in this place by our actions. And once again, like it said, do not be afraid. We have nothing to be afraid of.